Hello and welcome to Donors Talk SSR. My name is Alex Walsh and I work at the Geneva Centre for Security Sector Governance, known as DCAF. This podcast is hosted by DCAF's International Security Sector Advisory Team, or ISAT, and is part of a series that unpacks themes and practices within Security Sector Governance and Reform, or SSGR. We shed light on areas that are important to the international community in its efforts to provide strategic and operational support for SSGR in fragile and conflict-affected environments. In this episode, I am joined by Georgia Hines, who is a legal advisor for new technologies in the Arms and Conduct of Hostilities Unit at the International Committee of the Red Cross in Geneva. Georgia has been prominently involved in international advocacy around the governance of artificial intelligence in conflict and autonomous weapons. Georgia, it's great to have you here. Thank you for coming today. Thanks, Alex, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. Georgia, first of all, can you describe your role, both in relation to your organization, the ICRC, and how you work on artificial intelligence? Sure. So for listeners that might not be so familiar with the ICRC, we are a neutral, impartial humanitarian organization with a mandate from states to work for the protection and assistance of people affected by armed conflict. And this mandate is actually contained in the Geneva Conventions, which of course are part of the bedrock of IHL or International Humanitarian Law. So this gives us a very unique, um, a very special role when it comes to IHL. And the unit that I work for, the Arms and Conduct of Hostilities Unit, we work on strengthening or developing in some cases the IHL rules that relate particularly to the protection of people from the effects of weapons or from hostilities in conflict. So generally, we talk about new technologies of warfare when we talk about new tech. And what I mean by that is the use of uh, science and technology for applications that can cause harm, uh, either to injury or killing people, but also destroying or damaging objects. So when we look at these new technologies of warfare, including AI, ICRC is primarily looking at two key factors. The first one is legal, and that's about assessing the compatibility with existing IHL rules, and then working out whether there is that need for development or clarification. And then the second aspect is always humanitarian. So that's looking at the potentially adverse humanitarian consequences, both for civilians, but also combatants. And to do this, we draw on expertise from across the house. So I'm a legal specialist. We also have policy specialists. But then we have um, health delegates, for instance, or weapons contamination experts, protection colleagues. And they are drawing on what they see around the world in our operations to advise on either the expected uh, or the actual adverse humanitarian consequences. We have, particularly with AI, been trying to build our in-house capability because this is not something that traditionally the ICRC has been terribly good at understanding. And so now we have an excellent cyber specialist in my team and I also work very closely with a scientific advisor on AI in the Arms and Conduct of Hostilities Unit. So it seems that you're coming at the question of AI and autonomous weapons from a lot of different angles, and you're building an institutional capability to understand them and, and work on the topic. But um, can you take us back a step and tell us in simplest terms, you know, what are autonomous weapon systems and how is AI being used in them, and particularly in reference to the military and to conflict? 
Sure. So it's interesting, but there's actually no internationally agreed definition of autonomous weapon systems, although the word is used quite frequently. For the ICRC, we have put forward a definition that is based on the function of the weapon system, and we understand them as systems that select and apply force to targets without human intervention. The key part of that being that it is the weapon system that is firing itself. The human user is not choosing the specific target. They don't necessarily know when or where the weapon will fire. And this doesn't necessarily incorporate AI. So you can have a very simple rule-based system, something like a pressure plate that is activated by a certain weight. But our concerns around the inherent unpredictability of an autonomous weapon system are particularly acute where you do have the incorporation of AI and perhaps machine learning models of AI. I can talk a bit more about the unpredictability of AI later. The other application that we see of AI in the military is the use of AI in enabling decisions in military. So this is either around uh, targeting in particular, but also decisions, say, around who to detain in armed conflict that can have very serious consequences for people's lives. And the integration of AI into what's called decision support systems can certainly enable more widespread, more large-scale collection and analysis of information. You can have systems that are focused on identifying and tracking targets, whether they're objects or people, uh, on assessing patterns of life, and even making predictions or recommendations for certain courses of action. Finally, another application that we see as being enabled by AI is in the use of cyber and other information warfare. So I don't think the integration of AI into offensive and defensive cyber capabilities is new. We've seen this for quite some time in terms of speeding up these operations, finding vulnerabilities, automatically launching counterattacks, but certainly the integration of AI poses the potential to increase the scale and severity of these operations and also to change the scale of the manipulation of information. So whether that's spreading misinformation or actually creating disinformation. So they're talking about things like fake news or deep fakes. So clearly a very complex uh, issue to unpack there. And you mentioned the, the function of making predictions that AI can help with, and also this phenomenon of the black box. Now, in terms of predictions, I've, I've, I understand that AIs can be a bit contextually shallow and that they may not be able to understand, for example, that someone is surrendering because that takes a lot of sort of contextual interpretation. Can you, can you talk us through a little bit of the problems, some of those challenges in terms of AI face in terms of interpreting context and also perhaps the black box issue? Yeah, so I think uh, we've heard quite a bit this year about AI uh, and the opportunities or the potential, but also the inherent limitations and failures of some of these systems. And when we talk about applications in armed conflict, again, these can involve decisions that have really serious consequences for human life. 
with AI, particularly machine learning techniques, uh, some of the system limitations that we're talking about is that inherent uncertainty in the model or in the data that is used to train and test the model. When you pair that with armed conflict, which is taking place in a generally very complex, cluttered, uncontrolled environment, it's very difficult to see how an AI rule can ever account for every single factor in its operational space. And I think this gets to what you're talking about, where the AI rule can have a system for if X, then Y, and that's a, a rule-based algorithm, or it can be a more complex learning system. But either way, it is only an algorithmic process. It does not understand in the same way that a human does. And so it can't take account of context, which is very, very important when you're talking about the volatile environment in warfare. So even a high-performing machine learning system can be prone to fail because it's likely to come across inputs that don't match the data that it was used in training and testing. I think the other point about that is that armed conflict is also characterized by two or more parties trying to outmaneuver each other, trying to get an advantage over each other. So we have to expect that each will be trying to exploit the enemy's vulnerabilities. And with an AI system, it's still very prone to being tricked by what's called adversarial techniques. So if you have, say, an AI system that is the basis for a targeting system that is classifying objects uh, potentially as enemy vehicles, and then a very small adversarial technique could potentially lead it to misclassify school buses, civilian school buses. And you can see how that can quite quickly escalate to have disastrous ramifications. The other point that you have mentioned is important about what is called the black box effect. I remember being quite surprised about this when I started working on the file, that there is an inherent unexplainability in certain AI models, whereby you can say nine times out of 10, for example, it will do a certain thing, but the user and even the developer can't reverse engineer the process, unpack it and say exactly why it did that thing. So the system becomes essentially too complex. The uh, compounding calculations become too difficult to retrospectively explain. And that's this inherent uh, unpredictability or unexplainability that we are concerned about, particularly if you start talking about integration in weapon systems. Too complex to understand sounds extremely difficult to govern. Um, here at DCAF, we're interested in governing security actors. Um, in particular in relation to upholding international um, humanitarian law. So what is the current state of AI governance when it comes to IHL? Yes, well, so unsurprisingly, IHL doesn't explicitly talk about AI or autonomous weapon systems. And I mean, this is because it is largely contained in the Geneva Conventions, which were adopted in 1949, but also the additional protocols in 1977. At the same time, it's undisputed, I would say, that the existing rules and principles of IHL do apply. They are largely technology neutral, and so they already set strict constraints on the use of AI in weapon systems and to conduct warfare. So like any other new technology of warfare, 
AI systems have to be capable of being used and have to actually be used in compliance with IHL. So if we look at the existing protections and principles of IHL, that includes rules protecting certain categories of people, primarily civilians, but also combatants who are wounded or sick or otherwise out of the fight. Uh, we also have what's called the rules on the conduct of hostilities. People might have heard of them. Distinction, which is the very fundamental principle of distinguishing between civilians and combatants. Proportionality, which prohibits excessive incidental civilian harm. The need to take precautions in attack. I won't go into detail on those uh, today, but I did just want to highlight two other IHL rules that I think are particularly relevant when it comes to governing the use of AI in conflict. So the first one is the obligation that states have to review new or modified weapons or methods of warfare. So basically, a state has an obligation to assess whether any new capability or tactic of warfare can comply with the law. And that's not just IHL, that includes international human rights law and other bodies of law as well. So it means that the system has to be predictable because they have to know how it will function in a given scenario. And already we can see how AI might throw up some barriers there. But also these reviews are generally conducted by legal officers in militaries. And as a lawyer, I struggle to see how I would be able to properly review an AI system in many cases. So you start to see a real need for multidisciplinary input on these reviews uh, and different expertise coming in to support that. And then finally, the other rule that I just want to hit on is what is called the Martens Clause. This is a provision that basically says, even if you don't have an explicit treaty governing a new technology or a weapon, then its use is still governed by what's called the principles of humanity and the dictates of public conscience. And if we take the example of autonomous weapons, when the ICRC has consulted on this, what we've heard quite strongly is that the public is very uncomfortable and does not want a situation where life or death decisions are made based on a machine determination, an algorithm essentially. So for us, we think this indicates a public conscience that would prohibit the use of autonomous weapons against persons. So... To pick up on a point there about who should be involved in reviewing new technological capabilities when it comes to military applications, who do you think should be involved in these processes beyond the legal officers in the militaries in question? Well, I think it's very important that this discussion generally include tech and industry, uh, because I think, I mean, with any weapons development, that's going to be a key actor in assessing the, the likelihood that the capability can comply with the law. But I think particularly with AI, because you do start to have these problems that produce outputs that are not explainable. So I think tech and industry need to be involved right from the beginning. And when we think about designing these systems, they need to be considering how they can meet the conduct of hostilities rules and also accountability processes down the track. Within a military, I think it brings out very important roles for, say, data analysts uh, who might need to be embedded within certain targeting processes to be able to understand 
and provide advice on the operation of certain systems. One user might see a confidence score and think that that equates to accuracy or think that that equates to a ground truth. But I think you do need people who are a little bit more skilled in data analytics or understand what exactly that confidence score is based on and how to go back and look at the different data sets that were used, for instance. So I think it's it brings in specific disciplines that perhaps haven't necessarily spoken to each other in such a coordinated way. So you mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation that you have a cross-disciplinary team coming together to work on questions of artificial intelligence and their application in conflict. What have you learned from that experience of collaboration that you can pass on to other organizations, institutions that are looking to go in a similar direction? Yeah, I think it's been very important for us to think differently and to think about how the recommendations that we make can be realistic in practice because it's no good for us to have something that legally is watertight but cannot actually be applied when it comes to designing uh, AI algorithms or cyber safeguards. So I think that we've had to maybe get outside our comfort zone a little bit and be open to input that perhaps doesn't reflect how we otherwise would have gone in a strict legal or policy lens. I also think that it's taught us that we need to work harder at bringing in different experts. We can sometimes fall into the trap, like many people I think of operating within a a bubble of certain trusted experts or institutions, and this has pushed us to be a little bit more creative with that. So I would certainly encourage that more open-minded view of an inclusive approach to the discussions and development of uh, recommendations and fixes for these kinds of risks. Well, this conversation is very much in that spirit. Uh, we're reaching out to, to the ICRC as an institution to try and try and gather some of that experience that you have. Now, the ICRC uh, has a set of recommendations when it comes to new governance standards and practical measures and the development and use of uh, artificial intelligence defense uh, tools. So can you explain a little bit about what those recommendations are and how they've come about? Sure. So when it comes to autonomous weapons in particular and the integration of AI into autonomous systems, We've made very specific recommendations to states, urging them to develop new legally binding rules. And most relevantly for the integration of AI, we've recommended a prohibition on unpredictable autonomous weapon systems, by which we mean those systems that are designed or used in such a way that they can't be sufficiently understood and their effects can't be predicted or explained. And that comes back to that black box problem that we were talking about earlier. We also have recommended more broadly prohibiting anti-personnel autonomous weapon systems. So those that are designed or used to target humans based on the legal challenges. You mentioned the inability to necessarily recognize context, which becomes very important when you are trying to classify people such as those who are surrendering or those who are directly participating in hostilities. But there are also very real ethical concerns around targeting humans with machines. 
And then in terms of other systems that don't fall within those two prohibitions, there are still going to be some lingering uncertainties based on that unpredictability of the operational context, based on the nature of warfare. And so for that, we recommend a combination of limits on the use of autonomous weapon systems, in particular, limiting the types of targets that they are deployed against to military objectives by nature, uh, constraining the duration and the geographic scope of use, constraining them to situations such as those where civilians aren't present, where there are not concentrations of civilian objects, and also imposing limits for human-machine interaction. So having some sort of effective supervision ability and the ability to deactivate if necessary. In terms of AI more broadly, uh, and I spoke a little bit about AI in decision support systems, the key for us there is that we need to ensure that the systems are continually supporting and facilitating but not replacing human decision-making. So for us, a decision is a human act, it requires human judgment. And we think that could lead to design and use requirements around AI decision support systems so that humans can understand and engage with the uncertainties that they're based on, the assumptions, the biases, challenge the output, and also be able to cross-check it against other information sources, which is already a good practice in military intelligence. I see. And these set of recommendations, uh, which are available on the ICRC website, very thorough and clearly articulated, there is a debate, isn't there, over whether or not there is a need for a particular scheduling of uh, AI-enabled weapons. And I think you stand very clearly on the other side. But can you characterize a little bit that debate and why you think you're right? It's definitely true that there are different views as to whether new rules are needed, in particular for autonomous weapons. I think, though, what we've seen over the past year is a growing momentum, a growing recognition of the need for new binding rules. We've had some very strong regional statements coming out this year, particularly from the Americas region, Latin America and the Caribbean states. The UN Secretary General has recently come out calling for new rules on autonomous weapons. So I think we've been uh, very pleased to see this building growth towards support for new rules. Now, this is not to say that existing IHL doesn't apply and doesn't set limits. As I've said before, there are already protections and principles that must be followed when we talk about the use of autonomous weapon systems, including those enabled by AI. But the fact that we've had states expressing differing views or differing interpretations of how those principles and protections translate into the design and use of autonomous weapons, for us indicates there's a need for clarity. There is a need for a common understanding that can be also looked to by industry in the development of these systems so that they can, as I said, already be building in at the design phase how this system will comply with IHL on the battlefield. So I think we have a few upcoming multilateral discussions where it will be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, later this month, there is the UN General Assembly First Committee, which talks about disarmament issues. And the issue of autonomous weapons will be on the agenda. So I think that will be a key indication of that building support 
and will also be an inclusive chance for states to have these discussions and to flesh out these issues in a bit more detail. So there's still a lot to play for in terms of establishing a common field of understanding, a common ethical approach. Um, and my, my final question today is about the future. So what do you see as the next steps in terms of the future of governance when it comes to artificial intelligence in, in conflict and, and military applications? Are we going to see the Terminator lumbering over the horizon or is it somewhat brighter? Yes, I think we've been trying to um, capture Arnold Schwarzenegger as a, a mascot for the autonomous weapons discussions for quite some time, but I'm not sure the calls are necessarily going through. But in terms of the future, what we can expect, well, I think, as I said, we are optimistic when it comes to autonomous weapon systems, and we are optimistic that there will be enough pressure from states, from the general public, from civil society and industry to start negotiations of new rules. On the issue of AI in military applications more broadly, I think what we would like to see is a prioritization of attention around integration of AI into targeting cycles particularly, because they have the most obvious impact uh, and the most direct impact on people's lives, but bringing into those discussions the humanitarian angle and I think it would be interesting for us to have further examination of the claims that are made about how these tools can be designed or used to actually facilitate the objective of civilian protection in armed conflict. So that's this idea that they could potentially result in greater situational awareness, in greater mapping of critical infrastructure, in greater tracking of civilian movements. So we would be keen to see empirical evidence around those claims perhaps an exchange of good practices, uh, what data sets could be or have been used for that purpose to improve that situational awareness. I think there's a lot more to be still done in the way of figuring out what is being used, how it could be improved and what the objectives are when it comes to civilian protection in that space. Thank you very much for those practical and, and optimistic notes there to end on. It's, it's been really fascinating, and I believe it's, it's a topic that's only going to grow in importance. So thank you very much, Georgia. Thanks, Alex. It's been really fun. So thank you all for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about our work at DCAF, please visit www.decaf.ch. We look forward to reading your comments and looking at your ratings on Spotify. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode in our podcast series. Georgia, would you like to have the last word? Thanks, Alex. Look, I think just to say that we really appreciate this engagement and I think it's super important to continue to have these discussions in as many forums as possible to raise awareness of the issue and also to build that growing momentum towards new rules so that we can increase civilian protection and avoid potentially devastating consequences. So thanks for having me. I think it's been a great discussion.